Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, we'll continue our series on Bible doctrine. I did this series about eight years ago on Sunday night, and, and so now I felt like I really need to redo them and do them on Sunday morning. A lot of you probably didn't hear them, of course, weren't here or new to hear. Um, I'm not doing every one of them that I did then, but I'm trying to uh, pick some of them, maybe that subjects that I maybe haven't dealt with, you know, over the last couple years, and, and trying to deal with those in the series. So I'm not going to do everything I did, you know, eight years ago, but most of it I will. Um, but anyhow, last week we, we did a lesson on the Holy Spirit. We're going to do another lesson, and the, the first scripture we'll reference is in Genesis 1, so we'll just start there uh, with a reading and then give a little bit of review of last week's lesson. Uh, Genesis 1 and verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Let's pray. Father, help us, I pray, as we come unto your word. And I pray, Father, for a moving of your Holy Spirit even among us today. And I'm thankful that he still moves. Lord, in the places of darkness. And Lord, no doubt there are some here that are without form and are void. They are empty. Their life is without shape and purpose as it's fashioned after their own will. And Lord, they need the Spirit of God to move upon them, and I pray for that. Father, help us as we remind ourselves and teach this morning in regards to the person of the Holy Spirit and His work, I pray that we would be instructed from the Word and that we would learn and grow from it. Help us to hold firm the Scriptures and what it has to say about the Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would be found faithful in, Lord, proclaiming who He is and what He does. Uh, Father, I pray for Your Holy Spirit, if You would, to move, to teach us, to guide us, to direct us today to teach us all truth about himself. And I pray for the Holy Spirit to work and move in, in great power, Lord, upon those who are lost this morning. That's totally of you, and it's in your hands, and we pray for that to happen today. In Jesus' name, and amen. Now, before we give our first point this morning on the Holy Spirit from this verse we have read in Genesis, uh, by way of review, let's just restate some things that we dealt with last week. Uh, first of all, we considered how that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and that He is not simply an impersonal energy and influence. Uh, we mentioned that many scriptures that reveal Him uh, reveal Him as a person and reveal His personal character. Uh, then we looked at the relation of Pentecost to the Holy Spirit and how that the Spirit came uh, in power to empower the existing church. And He came as an, an abiding comforter and teacher and indweller of believers. And that now, as believers, we should seek after the filling of the Spirit and according to Ephesians 5, or, or seek to be under the control of the Spirit. And that also that we should seek to bear the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Now in this lesson, we're mainly going to talk about uh, some of the works of the Holy Spirit outwardly and in some of the, the works 
of the Holy Spirit inwardly within us is what we want to deal with uh, today. Uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit was involved in creation. In Genesis 1-2, we see this, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We see Him involved here from the very beginning. So again, this reveals His existence before Pentecost, of course, and this makes Him God and proves, uh, again, uh, the teaching of the Trinity and the Word of God. For the Lord made the heaven and earth, we are told in the Bible. And here we find the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now later, when God made man in Genesis 1, 26, we see that he says, let us, plural, make man in our image. That image, I believe, is after the Father, Son, and the Spirit. They are the us. And Job said in 33, verse 4, the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Remember, God breathed within man. That's the Spirit of God. And Jesus Christ, of course, is part of that us. He is the Word. And all through creation, we see this phrase, what? And God said. And so there we see all three persons of the Godhead involved in creation. But not only did the Holy Spirit, was He involved in creation, but He uh, worked through inspiration of uh, the prophets who give us the scriptures. We read this passage last week in Second Peter, where it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now knowing this truth, that the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and then what Paul says again in 2 Timothy 3.16, we see again the Trinity. Paul said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it is breathed out by God. So there we see God and the Holy Spirit. Also what he does is that he strives with the unsaved. I want to talk about that for a moment. Again, the passages that you see in bold, those are the ones we're going to take the time uh, to turn to. But let's, let's read the Scriptures here in Acts chapter 7. And I wanted to bear this out because we see sometimes the Holy Spirit being talked about sometimes in ways that the Bible does not talk about Him. Sometimes in preaching the gospel, men say things, the Holy Spirit's working and moving, He's trying to save you, He's trying to do this, He's trying to do that, and you won't let Him, or, or something like that. So it's really foolish language and lingo uh, that people use. And sometimes they might refer to this passage, and so... I want to bear this out and talk about it for a moment. Acts chapter 7 and verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And so we do see that it's possible to resist the Holy Spirit. And at first we might say, what in the world does this mean? I mean, how does a person resist the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, are we stronger than God? Is God's Spirit, is God trying to do something? And, and wow, man is so powerful that he's keeping God from doing something. That is not the context at all of what is happening. Here Stephen is preaching the Word of God. He's preaching the Gospel. And they are resisting, they're resisting the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, 
a very simple look at the context of this verse and what Stephen is saying. It's easy to see that he's talking in reference to what the prophets preached unto their fathers. He said, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, who inspired the Word of God? The Holy Spirit did. Listen, anytime someone rejects, resists the preaching of the Word of God, they are in essence rejecting, resisting the Holy Spirit in that sense. Why? Because He gave the Scriptures. And so anytime someone stiffens their neck, hardens their heart, and says, I'm not going to listen to what God's Word has to say, in that essence, they are resisting the Holy Spirit because He inspired the Scriptures. In that sense, men still do and continue to do and shall always do, apart from the power of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, men will always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, there, this is not, an, as some would teach in this passage, it's not that God's Spirit is trying to save men, but men will not let, let Him. The context, clearly, of this passage will not allow that. But the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel, the Word of God, listen, will do these works. It will convince men of sin. The Word of God will show that. It will show people righteousness. The Spirit does that through the Word. It will show people judgment. But that does not mean that they're saved. The Spirit works through the preaching of the Word of God. So it does not mean that God is trying to save some people and boy, they just won't let Him and God's got His hands tied. does not teach that at all. Listen, all sinners, every one of us, apart from God's power, from God's power, will do nothing else other than resist the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit, by direct and personal impact upon our soul, quickens us in great power, we are dead to the Word of God. We will not respond to the Word of God in a positive way. Which brings us to our next thought. He regenerates. He regenerates. Now this, this work is instantaneous and it is performed solely by the power of the Holy Spirit. Many times in the Word of God we find this phrase of being born of God. Being brought to life. Regenerates. We find those phrases. That is the work of of the Holy Spirit. When we are saved, we are called new what? Creatures. Regeneration is a creative act. And like unto creation, in the very beginning, the earth had no power to create itself. That's what evolution actually is. It's saying that the earth had power to create life. That the earth had power to form itself. That's part of what evolution is teaching, that it somehow self-regenerated into what it is today. Well, listen, when it comes to salvation, we are not self-regenerated. We are regenerated by the power of the Word of God, working with the Spirit to give us new life, to give us a new nature that is formed by the power of that Spirit, enabling us to repent of sin, enabling us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did we believe? Why do we repent? It's a work of the Holy Spirit within us. And Titus 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, 
but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates. And listen, he's not trying, he's not trying to regenerate people and is not able to. That is not taking place. But now let's go on here to the Holy Spirit's indwelling work within the believer after he regenerates them. Listen, it's one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to give assurance to God's people. It's to give assurance to God's people. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, you can turn there if you want, but I'll read it here for you. It says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit within us is the witness, and we mentioned this last week, but we didn't mention it for long, but is the witness that we belong to the Lord. And that is why the Scriptures uh, refer to the earnest of the Spirit in 2 Corinthians 1.22 and Ephesians 1.14. Earnest there speaks of a down payment. You know, like when you buy a house, they want a, an earnest payment to say, I'm going to buy the whole thing. And so you give what we call earnest money. That's the first time I ever heard of earnest money uh, when we bought our first house. I'm like, earnest, what am I just saying? I'm real sincere that I'm going to do this. Well, in essence, that's kind of what it is. I, I'm so sincere, I'm going to purchase this house. I'm going to give you this money. Listen, Jesus is sincere. <laughs> And we have His Holy Spirit to give testimony to us that He has bought the whole thing. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives assurance. Now, I'm very careful as a pastor that I make sure that I'm not the one giving people assurance of their salvation. Now, I am to speak the Word of God. I am to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the whole thing that sometimes it happens in, in Christian circles where, and Nick referred to this this morning about people raising their hand or coming down an aisle, repeating a prayer, and then, then the pastor saying, uh, after they repeat that prayer, well, now you're saved. Listen, folks, the Bible does not teach we should do those kind of things. I believe it's false, falsely, very much. It is the work of the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God. Listen, I do not have to give people assurance of salvation. If I have to do it, then the Spirit is not doing His part. And if the Spirit isn't there and doing His part, then I shouldn't do it. Because I should never give assurance to people based upon what I see. Now listen, I can say this. If you have repented of your sins and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ, then yes, you are saved. But I don't know if they really repented or really believed. That's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit to reveal that to them if indeed He has wrought that work in them. The Holy Spirit, however, will work through the Word of God again to give us that assurance. And so, if you again, I said this last week, if you're struggling with assurance, the best thing you can do is open up the Bible. Open up the Spirit-inspired book. Read the Word of God. Pray to God. And say, God, show me if I'm one of yours. Show me if I am a child of God. And you know what? That's what he works through the Word and through the Spirit to reveal those things uh, to you. So one, he gives assurance of salvation. Listen, and when he does that, he doesn't 
point to, well, yeah, you're saved, and this is really good, Nick, this morning, and say, well, yeah, you're saved because you did X, Y, and Z. No, you're really saved because of Christ, because he always glorifies Christ. All right. Now, secondly, the Holy Spirit's indwelling work, and we referred to this last week, but he comforts, he teaches, and illuminates. Uh, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would. I'm trying not to reread passages that I read last week. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2. In verse 9, But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. Listen, why, why do you know those things that God has prepared? And why do you love him? Well, God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. I just love those words listen jesus further said that the spirit would teach us all things now this doesn't mean that boy if you're a child of god you know everything i would worry about a child of god that thinks they know it all right but listen everything that you do know that's truth is taught to you by the holy spirit through the word of god so how wonderful it is isn't it to be reading the word of god and praying for understanding and and then and you it's like you're reading a passage and you've read it and you're, you're praying and you're seeking the lord and it's like wow i mean i've read this but now i see it i understand it that's the work of the holy spirit the spirit does that when we do it by ourselves and we're reading the word of god and we pray and seek god Sometimes he, he does it, hopefully, as we're, we're preaching the Word of God, and, and you open up the book, and, and you're like, wow, I've never seen that. It's right there. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He illuminates us. He opens our eyes and reveals Christ in the Word. I don't know how many times I've been studying and, and the Word of God, and it happens all the time, and, and you're, you're reading, and you're like, wow, that is so obvious but I've never seen it till now. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit does. But he doesn't work that way in people that are not born again. And so that should help us some, if you would, to understand whenever people just can't see what we see. Why can't their eyes see what we see? Why can't their ears hear what we hear? Listen, because they're still in spiritual blindness. They're still in darkness as we once were. And so if we understand that, one thing it should do for us for sure is it should never cause us to have a haughty spirit. It should never cause us to have arrogance about the truth that we know. Why? Because you were blind. You were dead. And 
You had it revealed unto you. You had it made known and illuminated unto you by the power of the Spirit of God. If we know anything at all about the gospel, who Christ is, any truth we have, it is because it's been made known to us by the Holy Spirit. And that should humble us, not lift us up in any pride or arrogance or look down our noses in any way. He's the one that has taught us. In 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, I just never have understood whenever I've seen two Christians argue about something that's true. <laughs> and I believe they're both saved, but then they're arguing about something that's true. And then they just both lose their temper and, and seem a little bit arrogant about it. It's like, okay, we, we've lost something here. <laughs> if it is true, we need to be humble about it. Now, maybe one of them's right. But you know what? We need to be humble about what we believe because if you really believe that all truth is revealed by the Spirit of God, all truth, then we need to be humble about how we talk about it. First uh, John chapter 2. Now, I think we can be confident. We can be confident, but we should not be arrogant. First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Talking to the people of God who have the Spirit. But then in verse 27, he says this, But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, that's speaking of the Holy Spirit, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. I think one of the reasons he says this, you have no need to teach you, is he was just giving them some warnings about the spirit of Antichrist. And listen, when he comes on the scene, he's going to be the man who has all the answers. Everybody's going to look to him for all things to know and to understand. And so it's important for you to know as a child of God, you have the spirit of God. And the spirit of God teaches you like he does everybody else that has the spirit of God. Listen, I don't believe that because I've been called into the ministry and been called to pastor, that I have some kind of special ability to be taught the truth. I don't believe that at all. I just believe that He's called me to teach the truth. Not everyone has the ability to, to be able to expound the truth in that way. I still wonder sometimes if I've got it. <laughs> but do you understand there's a difference? Listen, you can open up the Word of God. I've had people that, that have shown me things from the Scriptures who were not called to the ministry. And I didn't see those things before, like, wow, you're right. But they don't have the gift to be able to, to, to pastor or to teach. But at the same time, God used them to teach me something. And so understand that what God reveals to me and my study of the Word of God, He can reveal to you. And you know what? It's really important to understand this principle as a child of God. Because it helps us to make sure that we do not elevate the man of God. Any man of God. Because there's no man of God upon this earth who's going to have it all perfect and correct. I listen to many men uh, in my studies or through the week uh, read after many different men. And I find out that every man I read after or every man I listen to is wrong sometimes. And I would 
no doubt know this, that I'm wrong sometimes. <laughs> and so we need to understand that. Why? Because there is no infallible man. There is no infallible man other than the person of Jesus Christ. But there is an infallible book. And when men don't line up with the book, they are not right with God in what they believe. But I assure you that everything the Holy Spirit has taught us from His Word is truth. He's never taught us an untruth. But every truth you know is given to you by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Now the Holy Spirit comforts, He teaches and illuminates. And how He comforts is by the teaching of the Word of God, one of those ways He comforts. Now I need to move on here to cover some ground. Now, it's important to understand this principle that the Holy Spirit leads in obedience and service. The Holy Spirit leads in obedience and service. One of the fruits or results of the Holy Spirit being within the believer is that He creates within us a desire to be obedient to the Lord. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You know, just like the fire that led the nation of Israel through the wilderness, we too are led by the Holy Spirit. And He never leads in opposition to the word that He has inspired, as we mentioned last week. But the Holy Spirit of God within us is to work in accordance to the word of God and through the word to lead us. As you're trying to make decisions about what to do in your life, you need to be in the Word of God. Prayerfully seeking God and His Word, praying that God would reveal to you what God would have you to do. And it's amazing how that your modern day problems, situations, circumstances you find yourself in, that you can open up this book written many years ago and pray to God to open your eyes to see what you should do, the direction you should take in your life, and through prayer, in the Word of God, God gives you a definite answer, you should do this or not do this. Amazing. Say, well, you mean, preacher, you think we should do that? Listen, we should do that. <laughs> We're going to find the answers to all of life questions in the Word of God. Open up the Word of God and you will find your answers to to, to what the Lord would have you to do. The Spirit of God will show you. Why? Because He leads in obedience. He leads us to obey the Word of God. I like what George Sweeting said. He said, you know, watch out for any ministry or person who claims to be led by the Holy Spirit but acts contrary to the Word of God. And beware of any movement or any group whose focus is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points not to Himself, but to Jesus Christ. I say amen to that. Now, the next thing we want to talk about in regards to the Holy Spirit, I've got these three up here together for a reason. But I believe they all work together. He, he calls to special service. He gives us the gift, and He empowers us to serve in that capacity. Now, if God has given you a gift, He gives you power to do that gift. I know that God has not given me the power to do the gift of playing an instrument. I tried to get that gift. I tried to get that gift many times. I tried, I, I thought, I tried the guitar. We call it guitar in the south, in, in the southern part of Ohio. It's a guitar. 
you know. Um, I tried, believe me, I tried for a while, and I just didn't have it. I thought, well, I'll try something a little more simpler. I'll try the harmonica. That looks really easy. I can play a harmonica. I didn't have a clue how to play a harmonica. I tried. I took lessons. I, I, I did everything I could. I just do not have the talent. If God gives you uh, the talent, he's going to give you the power to exercise that talent. You know, sometimes we try to do things God doesn't want us to do. And I just said, you know what? I, evidently, God does not want me to preach the word of God and play an instrument. I've always admired men who could do both. I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. I used to admire uh, Pastor Wayne Reynolds. I'd love it. He could preach the word of God and then play the piano and sing. I was like, oh. So I coveted that. You know, I wanted to be able to do that. But God says, no, I don't want you to do that. Probably because the Lord heard my voice. Uh, I said, no, you don't need to sing that much. Uh, anyhow, but God calls us to special service. Now listen, we as a church need to trust in the call of God to work upon the heart's of men when it comes to leading in ministry. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Listen, that's a very important element that we should not leave out. When we're ministering to the Lord, we're in the Lord's ministry and we're seeking God's face. We're having a time of fasting, a separation from the world. As they were doing this, it says, The Holy Spirit said, Now separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called, for which I have called them. Listen, when we're really trying to seek the mind of the Lord in regard to, to ministry, or to what would God have us to, to, to ordain a man into the ministry, there needs to be a time of, of, of really seeking the face of God. There needs to be this more and more. He's the one that calls to special service. The Holy Spirit works through the church to reveal who were the ones to be sent for this particular work. If we were to, to want to send out a missionary to, to start a church or to go out with the gospel, sent out from the church, we would need to take that extra serious. Now, as we pray to the Lord about ministries, we need to, of course, make sure that those ministries line up with what? With the Word of God. In other words, the Spirit is not going to call people to do a work that is in contrary to the Word. He does not do that. All of the works we do, the ministries we do, should all be in agreement with the Word of God, never against it. And it should all be done to the glory of Jesus Christ because that's what the Spirit does. So we need to ask ourselves that question in the ministries that we do. Is the Word of God being proclaimed? Is the Word of God being taught? Are we operating underneath the authority of the Scriptures? And then we need to see, is Jesus Christ the theme? Is He the reason? Is He the glory of what we're trying to accomplish? Whether it be in our music, the Sunday school, the youth group, everything we do, any ministry we should have should be underneath the authority of the Word of God and should be done to the glory of Jesus Christ. And it cannot be done to the glory of Jesus Christ if it's not done in accordance to the Word of God. But He calls to special service, indeed. Now many people think they've been called to special service, but it's obviously that they could not be called to that service because it's contrary to the Word of God. A very obvious example of this would be 
a, a woman who would say that she's called into ministry to be a pastor. That would, that's, that's, a, that's a big no-no, right? We know that that's not true. Say, well, she said the Spirit said this, or she says, I know God wants me to do this. But yet the Word of God says, no, no, the, the, the pastor or the bishop must be, must be, right, a man. That's clear in the Word of God. And so, therefore, it doesn't matter how you feel, it doesn't matter how many people in that congregation may say, yes, you are obviously called of God. It's contrary to the Word of God, so therefore it can't be true no matter how much they try to point that upon the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did not do that. The Holy Spirit never called Joyce Myers to be a pastor. I know this for a fact. That's not arrogance. That's confidence in what the Word of God says. Now, I do believe God uses women teachers. I do believe that. I think there's, there's a place for women in ministry and women's conferences and, and Sunday school. I think the Bible is clear about them teaching children, all kinds of things like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about women taking upon themselves the role of pastor, elder in the church. That's a no-no. Amen? All right. You all agree with the Bible? There we go. Not about me. He calls a special service. Secondly, he distributes uh, the, or fifthly, he distributes these spiritual gifts. And see, sometimes people look upon like what we just mentioned and say, well, they're obviously called because they have a gift. There's, there's some good reasoning behind that in the sense that if God has called somebody, he's going to give them the gift. Well, just because a woman has the gift to, to speak does not mean he's called them to pastor. That, that is taking maybe the gift that God's given them and misusing it in a way that God has not told them to do. But in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4, it says there are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. So the same Spirit that we have that's in us as believers gives us differences of gifts. And so it tells us the same Spirit is working in all of us here, but He does not distribute the same gifts to each and every one of us. Now that's good. There are differences of ministries, I mean, but the same Lord. So listen, ministries can function differently. It's okay. All ministries within this church don't have to be all the same ministries in another church. I'm thankful for some ministries in other churches, but I know that God would not want that ministry here. It wouldn't be a good fit for us. God maybe hasn't called us to that specific ministry. But that doesn't mean I'm against that ministry because God doesn't want it here. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So, so listen, God is not going to work the same in each and every individual church, is He? Or in each and every individual. We, shouldn't, we don't look at individuals and say, well, they must not be saved because they're not all like me. At least we shouldn't do that. <laughs> we shouldn't look at all churches and say, well, that's not a good church because it's not exactly like us. There's going to be differences of administrations. There's going to be difference of ministries within various churches. God does that. But it's the same spirit. But it will never be in, against the word of God. But it gives spiritual gifts. He goes on to say this, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For all within the assembly there of where they have the gift. In other words, God has blessed you 
by His Holy Spirit in you to be a benefit to the church where you're at. And that's, that's good to understand. Why do you have the talent you have? Why do you have the gift you have? It's to minister within, to profit with all, to profit within. For to no one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. All these things were active here in the church at Corinth. To another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But then verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills so he distributes spiritual gifts now it's important for us to understand this because I think it helps us as believers to not try to measure ourselves against one another in other words you don't say well I just wish I was like so-and-so I wish I was like so-and-so I wish I could do this like them kind of like what I was talking about earlier Listen, God has given you talents. He's given you abilities, and you should use those abilities within the church. And if you don't have an ability, then for some reason God didn't want you to have that ability. In verse 11, he makes it clear the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills, not as, as, not as we will, but as the Spirit wills, as the Spirit determines. It's the sovereignty of God working there to give us the talents that we have to be used in the church. He's obviously talking about within the assembly when you read on down through there uh, when he talks about uh, the body and the foot saying to the hand and etc. He's obviously talking about the local congregation there. Listen, God has given you a talent and the Holy Spirit works with that talent, through that talent, to minister to the church first and foremost. And so also he empowers to serve. God has called you. He has given you the gift. He will give you the power to do that gift. You know, I like it. I mean, we uh, Paul and how he spoke about himself sometimes. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, he says this, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I love that. I mean, here we have much of the New Testament, right, inspired through Paul, the Spirit working through Paul. And we find that he says, you know, of his own preaching, of his own teaching, he says, it's not of human wisdom, but it's demonstration of the Spirit. I think sometimes we have this impression, boy, I'd love to hear that Apostle Paul preach. And we have this image in our mind probably of, of maybe other present-day preachers, of maybe Spurgeon. and Boy, Spurgeon was fiery and said what he did. Imagine what the Apostle Paul was like. Paul, Paul says of himself sometimes, you know, it, it wasn't with persuasive words of man's wisdom. I mean, sometimes I feel bad when I see people go to sleep when I'm preaching. I think, you know, what they did at the Apostle Paul. Be careful because that guy died. Right. And I don't have the power to raise you from the grave, so be careful anybody sitting up there especially. You know, it's a good thing we've got that rail up there. Aaron up there would fall out sometimes. You know, I, I don't think that he was in, 
a charismatic kind of guy. I think he trusted in the power of the Word of God. The power of the Word of God to work in hearts. See, we look too much to men and to their talents, their abilities. We've got to be careful of that. He said, I didn't want you to have confidence in, in, in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Preachers can very easily get caught up in a moment and, and think, boy, if they just... You know, it's about them. If they can just articulate it a certain way, boy, that's just going to solve the problems. Or if they get excited here and go down. Listen, my notes don't say get excited here, go down here, you know. I hope that, that's more natural, you know. It's not about having the right presentation, all of those things. It's about the power of God working through the Spirit and through the Word of God. He empowers the service. Paul knew who it was that gave him the ability to speak and who it was that empowered what he spoke. He takes no credit, but says that it was of the Spirit. He was faithful to proclaim Jesus Christ. Our calling in the service is by the Spirit. Our gifts are by the Spirit and are to fulfill the call of the Spirit. And our power to exercise those gifts are by the Spirit. What this mean? No glory to us. <laughs> no glory to us. If, you, if you've been called to a special service, I believe God has called some people to, to serve in special capacities within this body. I believe God has blessed people to serve with different gifts in, in the worship team or in teaching. I believe He's given them the power because He's given them that call and gift to, to, to do those things. But never let us for one moment, for one second, to think that, that we deserve the praise of men, that we deserve the glory of men, because it's all of Him, of His work within us. And to Him, the Lord Jesus Christ, be glory, and to Him alone. If we accomplish one thing, if we teach one truth, that, that the Lord chooses to open the eyes, it's the Spirit of God. If we are using a way to draw people to Christ, it's the Spirit of God. If we're using a way to exalt His name, it's the Spirit of God. It's all of Him. Let me fade in the shadows, and let me go to the dust. But let the name of Jesus Christ live forever in this place. It's not about me. It's not about any of us. It's about our Redeemer. And one of the evidences that the Spirit of God is in this place is that the name of Christ is glorified. And to Him be glory in this church. It's all about Him. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes it all about Jesus. I won't cover the, the next one. We covered that last week. He makes us fruitful. He enables prayer and intercession. I'm not even going to cover that. And He moves us to worship. <laughs> Turn with me to Romans 8, if you would, in verse 11. You see, the Spirit's going to abide with us. He's not going to leave us. He's going to be at work even after we're dead. You know why? Because when the, when the Lord resurrects this body, it's going to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Listen, the Holy Spirit's going to come one day and He's going to resurrect this body if it dies before the Lord comes back. See, the Holy Spirit's indwelling work as He makes us fruitful. 
the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's the evidence of salvation, not the cause of salvation. And I, I really appreciate Nick's lesson again this morning. You know, we don't try to be loving. We don't try to, to, be, to be peaceful. We don't try to be long-suffering or gentle or good in order to be saved. None of that. All of those things are the results of the Holy Spirit within the believer. They're not the cause of salvation. That's so important that we make sure we get that right. He makes us fruitful. Matter of fact, if you're not fruitful, if you don't have the fruit in your life, Jesus said it's a bad tree. There's something wrong with the root. The fruit just gives evidence of the root. So there's no fruit is because the root is bad. Fruits are the signs of the Holy Spirit. The signs of the working of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes us fruitful. The Holy Spirit works within us to enable us to pray and intercede in Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit works within us to, to move us to worship. Philippians 3, 3 says, Worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Spirit-led worship is, is not empowered by the flesh, but rejoices in Christ. Now, I think sometimes what happens is people get caught up in the flesh. In other words, through worship sometimes, people it's not that people are always demon-possessed. I think there is some demon-possessed worship that happens out there. But I think and sometimes people just get wrapped up in the flesh. That happens. Spirit-led worship is what we need to seek after. Those who worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Do you have the evidence of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit? I'll close with this quote here by Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says this, the Spirit does not glorify Himself, He glorifies the Son. Now, this, it's hard at first to understand this language sometimes when you believe in the Trinity. It really does. But it's a scriptural language. Jesus said, The Son shall glorify Him, or the Spirit shall glorify Him. He said, This is to me one of the most amazing and remarkable things about the biblical doctrine of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit seems to hide Himself and conceal Himself. He is always, as it were, putting the focus on the Son. And that is why I believe, and I believe profoundly, that the best test of all as to whether we have received the Spirit is to ask ourselves, what do we think of and what do we know about the Son? Is the Son real to us? That is the work of the Spirit. He is glorified indirectly. He is always pointing us to the Son. Martin Lloyd Jones. I believe that to be true of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, within us as a child of God, where do we point? Who do we glorify? Are we really wanting to glorify Jesus Christ? Do we really want to fall in the shadows, if it were, as he said of the Holy Spirit, to conceal ourselves and hide ourselves and to hide behind the cross? Is our ministry about us? Is it about our name? I guarantee if I ever started a ministry, it wouldn't be Jack Holbrook Ministries. I'm sorry. I just don't like that. <laughs> um, I'm not saying there's not good men that have done that, okay? I just wouldn't want to do that. It's not about us ever. It's not about our name. It's about Christ and Him alone. 
Let's seek in everything we do and say, any ministry we get involved in, our lives we live, the words we say, how we pray, how we raise our family, how we lead our wife, how we raise our kids, how we relate to one another in the church. Everything be done to the glory of Jesus Christ in accordance to the Word of God. That's how the Spirit works. That's how the Spirit moves. Do you truly want your life to be all about the glory of Christ? Are the best songs you can sing are songs like we sang, Is He Worthy? That's the best. That's the best. That should be our heart's desire. It's to reveal Christ and have all see that He indeed is worthy of all glory, praise, and honor. It's all about Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit to Him. Is that in you? Do you really want it to be all about Jesus? Father in heaven, I pray that you'd use this lesson today. Lord, I feel so frail. What an awesome task to be asked to talk about this morning. But Father, I know in my weakness, though, you are still strong. And I pray for the power of your word to work and to move. And maybe there's someone here today that you have used this message to show them that they have not been born again of the Spirit of God. May you use this to reveal to them, Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone for their redemption. And help us as your people to be encouraged by the message to go out and to live for the glory of Christ. And anything we accomplish, any gift we have, any talent, any service we do, and we make sure that Christ is the center, Christ is the focus, and that we do it for his glory. Help us as we sing to always glorify Christ in all of our words and all of our actions that truly would be spirit-moved, spirit-generated worship to the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray, and amen. Let's all stand, please, as we sing.